Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 27, Revelation part 7, which is chapter 14. Quick correction on episode 24 and 23 about the first horseman uh, in reference to Revelation 6-2. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So I had mentioned several different possibilities about this bow and the, and the fact that it may not have been a bow and arrow. And I've done a deep dive into that word, and the Greek word for bow there in, in that verse is toxon, which means cloth, and, and that's originally what I told you. However, it comes from the root word toxotai, which literally means archers. So these archers were in the ancient Greek and Byzantine empires. Um, they were armed with the Greek bow and a short sword, and the mounted archers were called hippotoxotai, and they would ride ahead of the cavalry. There was a group of them that dipped their arrows in poison. And so hippotoxotai was actually changed to toxon to indicate these archers that had the poisoned arrows, and that's where we get the word toxin. So while the Greek word, the Koine Greek word is secondarily used to mean a cloth or a fabric, the primary definition is these dangerous bows and arrows. All right. So when we use the word toxon in Revelation 6, 2, the possibility exists that it is referring to a fabric to go along with the laurel wreath crown that this first horseman has which is the symbol of power. And I think of the Scottish kilt with the shoulder piece, the cloth piece that represents their tribe and their authority, right? So it could be cloth. It more likely means a bow and arrow, which is the military sense of conquering there in that verse. But it definitely does not mean rainbow because that's a completely different Greek word, eris. There is also another Greek word for fabric called diathrose, and they did not use that word. So this is why my final conclusion on this is that it is the bow and arrow that is being referred to. I just wanted you to know that I am always digging deeper and searching and, and researching to find out the original words and what they actually meant. And if I do make a mistake, I'll definitely let you know. Um, anyways, Last time we covered chapter 12, the woman, the dragon, and the war in heaven, and chapter 13, the Antichrist. Today we're going over chapter 14. Keep in mind this is the last chapter of interlude number two in the book of Revelation. John used the interlude as his descriptive chapters of events that he had already described or events that he's going to tell you about after the interlude is over. So these interlude chapters are out of order in the timeline of the end times. Previously, he had been talking about the trumpet judgments, the seven trumpets. In chapter 9, we went through the six trumpet judgments, and then we come to chapter 10 through 14, which is the second interlude. So we're on chapter 14, we're at the end of that interlude, and the next chapter should be what happens after that sixth trumpet. We're still waiting on the seventh trumpet, remember. All right, so let's dig into this. The first part is the lamb and the 144,000. Verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. 
And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song, but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So first of all, the Lamb is Jesus Christ. Notice the reference to his Father's name is in their forehead. And he stood on Mount Zion. This could be his coming to defeat the armies of Armageddon, which makes sense. Uh, in regards to gathering the 144,000 there to be with him. What he's doing here is he's giving us more information about these 144,000 from chapter 7 that he had talked about before. So way out of order, right? But he's giving us more details. Two things here to note. They have a special place before the throne of God because they have songs that no one else can learn. And the second thing is that they are virgins. So again, more details here. Then we come to the messages of the three angels. So the first angel starts in verse 6, and it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. I believe this is the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. In the tribulation period, when people see all the horrible catastrophes and the wars and the destruction and the death and the natural disasters and the unnatural disasters and the demons and the miracles, I think that God is giving people another chance to repent, and he's sending this angel out to preach the gospel, to let everyone know these things are happening because God is coming back, and they have a chance to repent. It's similar to Jonah and Nineveh. You know, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because, well, God will probably let some of them repent, and they'll change because they're going to hear that God's going to destroy them. Same concept. Then we have the second angel in verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This is the Babylon of chapter 18, which we'll get into in a couple weeks, that is destroyed by God. And Jeremiah prophesied about it in chapter 51. I'll just read three verses from there. Jeremiah 51, 7, 8, and 9. It says, Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. That made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her. Take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go every one into his own country, for her judgment reacheth unto heaven, and is lifted up even to the skies. So it's a place that was blessed of God. It was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. It's a place that all the nations of the earth have partaken of the blessing of that place. It is a place with people from many nations because he said, go everyone back to your own country. So we'll read more about that in chapter 18. Then the third angel comes, Revelation 14, 9, and it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, 
The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. This angel is a warning to the world to not take the mark of the beast. There is no recovery from it. You are going to hell if you take the mark of the beast. It clearly says you will suffer the indignation. You will drink of the wine of the wrath of God and suffer, be tormented forever and ever. So whatever the mark of the beast is in the forehead or in your hand, you must fight to the death to not take that. And then it says, blessed are those who do not take the mark and are killed. So it is more blessed to die, to be beheaded and be martyred for Christ and to receive the rewards in heaven and on earth during the thousand year reign. We'll read about that in chapter 20. Then it is to take the mark, be able to survive and comply with the Antichrist because you will suffer for all eternity with the devil if you do that. Because that's the choice in the end. Are you going to take the mark of the beast and worship Satan, or are you going to refuse and worship God? There's no middle ground here. And then I like the way it describes it, that hope again at the end. It says that these are the saints who have patience, who have faith in Jesus, and they will be blessed. They will be able to rest from their labors, and their works do follow them, so there will be rewards. This speaks of judgment at the end where the good works that you do for Christ will actually be rewarded. So this is, again, John speaking out of chronology, outside of the timeline of events, and he's telling us different things about things he's already mentioned in chapter 6 and 7. He's telling us things about uh, the future that he hasn't mentioned yet in chapter 18 and chapter 20. So this is an interlude where he's giving us more details. And then you have uh, the last part, which is the harvest of the earth. And this starts in Revelation 14, verse 14 uh, to the end in verse 20. And I looked and behold, a white cloud and upon the cloud, one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, this is Jesus Christ. Jesus, even when he was on the earth, referred to himself as the son of man. And then if you go back to chapter one, John refers to Jesus here as the son of man and actually names him as Jesus. So that's how we know that. Verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Jesus sows the good seed, the gospel message, and he reaps his followers at the end. Verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So this 
is where the devil sows the bad seed, and these fruits are being reaped and will be destroyed. Verse 20, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. It takes eight furlongs to make a mile. So this is saying two for the space of 200 miles. This is very literal. God would not tell John to write down a specific number unless it was an actual number or if he told us that it signified something else. And he doesn't here. So he's going with this symbology of reaping and, and a vine and wine press. And then all of a sudden he's going to the harsh reality of blood up to the horse's bridle for 200 miles. Well, if you look at chapter 19, which again is future to this or to this verse here, it's probably the Battle of Armageddon. So we'll cover that later so you can see some of that. But I wanted to explain how I get all of this, that it's Jesus Christ talking, the sowing of Jesus versus the devil and so on. Well, Jesus himself said it. If you look in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, starting in verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. There you go. Jesus called himself the son of man, said he's the sower. Okay. Verse 38. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Bam. Jesus is describing this pretty much word for word. The important thing is here when you take it literally, Jesus literally tells you what each of those things are. It's not some sort of symbolism that you have to strive to understand. Jesus gives you the definitions of these words. So Revelation chapter 14, yes, there's a little bit of symbolism in it, but Jesus himself gave us the interpretation. All right. So let's go back to Matthew 13 and let's finish reading that. Verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. Almost exactly what John said in Revelation 14. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend in them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's Jesus Christ himself explaining. Don't take my word for it. Open your Bible. Read this stuff for yourself. You read the Bible literally using proper grammar tools and the context of that day, as well as other Bible passages that clearly explain what these things are. Don't make stuff up. Don't believe things that other people tell you that don't fit with Scripture. And be like the Bereans. Always search the Scriptures daily to see if what I am telling you is true. If you ever have any questions or if you ever find something that I've misspoke or gotten completely wrong, please email me angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And I'll research that and I will correct myself and let you know, just like I did about chapter six. Next time, we're going to go over chapter 15 and 16, which is the seven vials or bold judgments. And until then, may God bless you.